I want to introduce our storyteller for the day, uh, Ashley Besseker. And I've uh, been thinking about what to share about her, and here's what I came to. Uh, she feels to me uh, like a woman, like a person who lives her life under a call. You know, there's a, a focus and a, and a smartness and a deliberate way she lives her life as a mom, as a wife, and uh, as a nutritionist, and as a citizen of this earth and of our country. So I really kind of feel that vibe from her, and I see that in her social media. And so I really appreciate the way she carries herself in this world. So we love you for that. Ashley, come on up and tell us the story. And you didn't know I was going to share that about you. No, thank you. I'm so honored. Okay, good morning. Well, thank you, Peter. That was such a nice introduction. Um, my name is Ashley Bessaker, and my husband and family and I have been members of this church for a few years now, um, and we feel so at home here. This church is amazing. Um, we are very happy here. And um, I just want to say I'm a little bit nervous. I do a lot of speaking for my job and career, but um, this is the first time I've ever shared like a very personal story with, with no agenda. I'm not here to educate anybody. I'm not here to teach anything. Um, so I had a little bit of trouble um, <laughs> in the beginning writing this, but I think um, I'm ready to just share my story. So um, bear with me. Thank you. Um, so when Peter asked me to tell a story, in my 33 years on this earth, I've actually packed a lot in. Um, good and bad and crazy and all between. So I was trying to think, what story am I going to tell? Um, I have survived a 9.1 earthquake and tsunami with my husband. Um, I have um, built a practice from the ground up um, and run my own company. I have had two beautiful babies. Um, we have gone through recurrent pregnancy loss. I mean, we have had a lot of stories um, in our young lives. And so the story that I actually chose to tell today um, is a great one. And it's actually one of the biggest honors of my life besides meeting my husband and having kids. Um, so I'm excited to share it with you today. Um, almost 10 years ago, uh, Peter mentioned that I'm a dietitian. Um, so dietitians have to do residencies, just like medical students do. So I um, completed my residency 10 years ago at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. And this particular spring, I was on a rotation in a medical intensive care unit. And um, think Grey's Anatomy, okay? Um, like medical students, there's rounds, you have a chief resident and a medical doctor with you, and, and the dietitian students have to do the same thing that the medical students do. So you go around in a group to each patient room, and they grill you. Um, tell me about the patient, what's the next step in treatment? I mean, it's very nerve-wracking, and so as a student, you have to be totally on top of your game, and you absolutely cannot be late, <laughs> because that's, that's bad. Um, so this particular day, I've, I've been on this rotation for a while, so I know how it goes. Um, there was a children's hospital attached to the adult hospital um, at Vanderbilt, and so they were doing a uh, blood drive. And so I think being in the medical field, you, you kind of know the need for, for donors and um, donating blood and stuff like that. So I, even though I had to be back for rounds, I ran over to the children's hospital to donate blood. Um, 
and I had done it before, so I thought it was going to be super quick, but um, it was not. It was packed, which was awesome. There were so many people in line donating, but um, it took a long time to get in. It took a long time to get it set up, taken down, um, and then, then you know they make you sit with your juice box and your cookie for a while, and so I was just sweating it. Um, so nervous I was going to be late for rounds upstairs, and... I finally finish, they tell me I'm good, I can go, and so I'm like shuffling to get my lab coat back on and grab my notebook and like sprint to the elevators. And right outside, there was a table, and this man, there's all these people rushing by, and this man like honed in on me and he was like, hey, do you have a second to join the bone marrow registry? And I'm like, no, no I didn't say that, but I'm like thinking, no, I do not. Um, and I have to say, in that moment, like, it's, it's like time stopped, and I like, felt God like, intervene. Um, and I, I accepted the Lord at, in ninth grade, and so I had kind of like, felt God's presence in my life um, you know, before. And I really didn't have the time. I was so uh, focused on my career at that point, but, but I stopped, and, and he chose me out of all those people. He's like, it'll take less than five minutes. You just fill out your name and address on this card and you take this Q-tip and you swab your cheeks and we mail it and you're done. So I said, okay, okay. And so I rushed and I did it and I didn't think another thing about it. I went up, I made it in time for rounds um, and I ended up graduating from Vanderbilt. I moved home back to Seattle and got my first job. And then I got an email less than 10 months later and I wanna read you guys that email. Dear Ashley, you joined the National Marrow Donor Program Registry on May 16, 2007, and we were notified today that your complete HLA tissue typing matches that of a, 30, of a patient, 31-year-old woman with acute lymphoblastic leukemia who needs a blood stem cell bone marrow transplant. And I'm writing to ask you to consider having additional blood tests to determine if you are the best donor for this patient. Sorry. So that was a heart-sinking moment. Um, you know, I was only 22 at the time, but 31 seems really young to have ALL. So in the weeks that followed, I participated in a slew of medical tests down at Fred Hutch um, to determine if I was able to be the donor for this woman. Um, it also consisted of a lot of fighting with my parents, surprisingly, um, my pa which I understand now being a mom, but my parents were terrified. We, they didn't really understand medical terminology and bone marrow donation is such a scary word and all in itself. Um, and I was heading down to Fred Hutch getting all these tests and things run. I mean, in their mind, I'm this like young woman who hasn't even started a family yet. They're worried about the side effects um, to the donor, which include pain and nausea and vomiting and um, organ failure. Um, so they were very nervous and we fought a lot um, about it. But I couldn't explain to them. It was like the whole time I just knew it was me. Like even that point they're trying to narrow down donors. It's not 100% that I'll be selected. It's a small chance I'll be selected anyway. But it's like when I got the email it was, oh yeah, okay, this is why you stopped me, God. Like this, I, you need me for her. Like, I get it. I'm, I'm here. I'm going to do the tests. And I know I'm the donor. Like, you don't even have to tell me. I, I know I'm her donor. 
And God just really put such a calm and a peace, and he like held my hand the whole time through it. And so to try to explain to parents and family that are concerned that it's all going to be okay is, is pretty interesting. But I was. I was selected as the donor, just like I knew. Um, and in June 2008, I sat um, in a hospital bed down on Boren Avenue at the Peterson Blood Center um, for six hours, and I did what's called a peripheral stem cell donation. Um, they put two large steel gauge needles in each arm, and they cycled out my blood through this apheresis machine, and they took the stem cells that they needed and then would cycle my blood back through. Um, and they did that for as long as they could until they had a little bag of all the stem cells they needed. And after it was done, I asked to hold on to that bag, and I said a prayer, because I didn't know where it was going. I don't know. I just know it's a woman who's 31 who has ALL. I don't know where she lives. I don't know anything about her. And I don't actually get to know anything for two years. Um, the marrow donation separates and puts that kind of two-year block in to protect the donor and the recipient. Um, so they let me hold the bag. They let me say a prayer over it, and then it was gone, and it was over, and it was crazy. I went back to my regular life, I was fine, um, but in the back of my mind, I'm just wondering what happened um, to this woman. So two years later, I received an email with a stack of letters attached, and it was from Monica Fuit, and she was my 31-year-old female with ALL. Um, she had survived. And she was living with her family in Utah. Two kids, a husband, friends, family, and I just want to share with you in closing a few of their words. <clears throat> this is from her, her nine-year-old, Logan. Thank you for donating to my mom who has leukemia. You have been a great example to everyone. If everybody could be kind like that, then I don't think we would have as much disaster as we do now. So thanks. Uh, from her husband, Stryker. What a cool name, Stryker. Thank you for giving me my wife back. I've always told her that I wanted to get old with her and watch our grandchildren grow up. A few years ago, I thought that our dreams were coming to an end. Last weekend was my wife's second first birthday of her life. Thanks to you, we will be making a lot of great memories together with our children. And thank God every day that when I wake up, I get to look at her next to me. And then for Monica, it is not only me that is not going to have to go on that emo emotional roller coaster ride again. It is my sweet husband, which I've been married to for 14 years. It is my children that for about a year were so worried that they wouldn't have their mom anymore. It is also my family that has done so much, dedicated so much time to helping me go through it. My mom has her daughter back, my husband has his wife back, my kids have their mom back, and I am able to spend time again doing the things that I used to with all of my friends and family. To receive that donation, Monica had to go through two weeks of intensive chemotherapy and radi radiation to kill off her current immune system because it obviously was not working. To be put on the bone marrow registry um, to receive a transplant, you have to have less than a 10% chance of survival. So Monica was facing a really bleak outlook. After receiving the transplant, sometimes the body doesn't accept it. And so what I basically did is I gave her my immune system. Um, and it accepted. So she and I share 
an immune system, which means she got all of my terrible seasonal allergies, which we joke about now. <laughs> she did not have them before. Um, <laughs> but we also share this incredible story and this bond um, that is life-changing. And she was invited to my wedding. She has come and stayed with my family, and I've met her children. Um, they now live in Montana. Her kids are in college. They have horses and goats, and they're, they're the most incredible family. And so um, I just thank you so much for allowing me to share that story with you guys today. This morning's scripture reading is from the book of John. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading selected verses from John chapter 14 in the New American Standard Bible. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. And I want to uh, take this time to share uh, John chapter 14 with you. We are in a series in the book of John. We're calling the Son of God, and today's sermon title, uh, anybody want to give a stab at how to pronounce this word? Perichoresis. It seems obvious enough. I didn't pronounce it that way at first. Uh, I'm having trouble remembering how I pronounced it now, because I only say it the right way, uh, but I think it was something like perichoresis or something like that. But it's perichoresis, and we're going to talk about this idea today. Let me start with a story. The absolute priority, the most important thing in my whole life, to me, is my relationship with Susie. And if you hang around me, uh, if you've been coming to church, if you do any kind of uh, you know, activity with me, like going on a run or on a hike or a paddleboard trip or something, you're going to hear me talk about Susie. That's just the way it goes. She is the metaphor that God gave me. She's my walking sermon illustration. She's the window through which I experience the world. And here's why. Because she and I, our relationship, it defines everything else for me. So for example, I can have a great day. But if things with Susie are not right, I'm not having a great day. But everything could be going wrong. But when I go home or she comes home and we are good, we're connected, we're seeing eye to eye, 
and there is love coming off of us, then everything is good. It doesn't matter how everything else actually is because reality becomes reframed and redefined by this relationship. It is the foundation and the cornerstone that sets the tone for everything else. I believe that there is no parenting class I can take or technique I can employ that can make up for my relationship with Susie, which sets the tone for the whole family and parenting and everything else. And you know this to be true. If my marriage with Susie wasn't going well, I would be harder to listen to as a preacher. In fact, if it got bad enough, you might even ask me to take a break and uh, reallocate my focus and energy to that relationship. Get that set up right. And that's what the Bible says. Even above ministry, the Bible teaches that if you get married, that's your priority. And so if you really want to just do ministry, the Bible teaches don't get married. Not because it doesn't value marriage or values ministry more, but because it values marriage the most. That's the way it's meant to be. There's a kind of jealousy we are called to have in our marriages. The relationship you have with your spouse, if you have one, is the most tone-setting and defining relationship in your life, more than your family of origin, which you are called to leave so that you can cleave to your spouse. That's the way that goes. And I'll let that land however way it lands with you in whatever marriage situation you're in. God's ideal, God's intent for that marriage relationship is to be the tone-setter. Now, where does that come from? Did we just invent that? Is that just an evolutionary byproduct? Is that just a pragmatic way to think about it? I think all that's true, yeah. But the template, the DNA for that kind of relationship by which God is calling me to be defined by comes not from just an idea, but from reality itself. And this reality is described as perichoresis. This is the relational dynamic that is between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, this word perichoresis just means rotation. But there is a kind of rotation or a dance that happens that describes how the triune God, which is one but separate, how they are, how they exist. That is the model for how we are to relate to each other because when the Bible says that human beings, we are created in God's image, that's the image that uh, the Bible is describing. It's not just a solitary being but it is a triune being. If you read in Genesis, it says that man and woman were made in our image. There's a plural there. And there's different ways to interpret that. My personal interpretation is that it's pointing to, in the very beginnings of the Bible, describing a triune God, describing the reality that is perichoresis. And I want to suggest to you today that we have a deep, deep, 
innate longing for this kind of relationship. And until we get to perichoresis in our human relationships, until we are brought up into the dynamic that is the Trinity, we don't have peace. We don't have a place in this world. We don't have rest. Our souls are restless. And that's what I feel very viscerally when things are not right with Susie. Nothing else matters. I don't have place. I don't have peace. Ah. Uh, This is a good time to mention. In my sermon notes that you have access to with the link in the loop, you'll see some other stuff about human consciousness and how uh, the dynamism between us defines uh, human consciousness. But we won't go into that. We have two points today. Let's get to those. One, who God is. And two, who we are, parentheses, meant to be. Okay, first, who God is is. Verse 1, 2, and 6. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I don't know what your view or interpretation of this word place is, We think about heaven as a place. Back in Jesus' time, people thought about three strata. You know, there is the place below. We don't want to go there. And then there's this place now, and then there's this place above. And they physically looked up because they thought it was in the heavens. What I know about physics now and astronomy tells me there is no up or down. We're all floating Where is this place? And it's my understanding, theologically, when we look at the Bible uh, in a systemic way, we understand this place is not an actual kind of physical place the way we understand it, but it is defined by the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the dynamic that exists within them. That's the place that Jesus is promising he's going to make room for us, space for us. We are created to be brought up into this rotation, this perichoresis. It's an environment. It's a way of being. So that's what I think these verses are referring to. Now, chapter 14 is long. There's a lot of words I mean, I have a lot of words. And if I tell you there's a lot of words in John 14, there's a lot of words. Because normally, I don't think there are a lot of words. There's never enough words. But there are a lot of words in verse 14, chapter 14. So I'm going to summarize it for us in just my own words. And you can compare this to the whole chapter yourself. I don't want to have us read it right now. But here's what I think it's saying. God, who is the ground of being and of all reality, is a community of Father, Son, and Spirit who are separate and one. I slash we created you to be this way also, and we have been making a way for you to be just as we are because this is the meaning of life. 
We will not leave you alone as orphans to fend for yourselves, but just as the Father has sent me, so we send the Holy Spirit to help you to love and be connected to us and to each other. This is love. That's what I think chapter 14 is saying. It's a description of the dynamic. All the I and you, you and me, I and the Father, Father and me, Holy Spirit, and now you, us, place, home, not orphans. All of that is describing perichoresis, the relationship, the intimacy, the oneness, the separateness between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and us. And how do we get into that place, space? Through Christ, by the help of the Holy Spirit. Sent by the Father. Now, you're sitting here, you're not a Christian, or you don't understand the Bible. You don't believe in God, let alone the Trinity. Let me tell you, I, mean, I, I don't know about the Trinity either. And anybody who claims to you otherwise, they're making stuff up. It is mysterious. It is weird. However, however, I experience perichoresis in my own personal, fleshly, earthly life. I know that the healthiest of relationships sounds like the Trinity. So, for example, if we use psychology, if we use family systems theory, which I love, as you know, the gold standard for how I'm supposed to be with Susie is I'm supposed to be self-differentiated from her in a way where I am separate but connected. In any and every situation, she remains her and I remain me. We are distinct. We are not codependent. We're not fused. We're not stuck together. And yet, while being separate, we are one. We are connected. Psychology itself tells us this is the healthiest possible way of being with each other is to be experiencing in the midst of perichoresis. What the heck? Yeah, that's true. Where does that come from? From the image of God in which you and I are helplessly created. You didn't choose it. God chose that for you, and that is the longing of your hearts. A lot of us, for example, have this pendulum swing where we get all fused with other people. We begin to lose a sense of who we are, where we end, and where they begin. Their problems, their responses become our problems, our responsibilities. And then we swing the other way, and we start creating physical distance. And so we are one in an unhealthy way, and then we react to that, and then we are separate, but not one. We are anxious, and then we are separated. But the key is to be both together and separate at the same time. So I don't understand the Trinity. I may not even believe in God. However, I know perichoresis is true, and it's right, and it's healthy, and it's good, and I want to move towards that place. And Jesus says, actually, I prepare that place for you. You can't bring yourself up into it because I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to enter perichoresis but by me. And if you're not a Christian, you can go ahead and try. Go get perichoresis. Put your back into it. Go for it. And then come crawling back to Jesus and say, I can't do it. Maybe you're the way. Maybe you're the life. Maybe you're the truth. And the Bible says, yeah, I have a place for you. <clears throat> uh, 
So look at this symbol. This is one of the symbols for perichoresis. Take uh, any point in any line and trace it and tell me where it ends. It's a great image. It's all separate, and yet it's all one. It's beautiful. How about this one? This one uh, illustrates, describes perichoresis. So read the words with me. The Father is not the Son, but the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. The Father glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Son is not the Spirit, but, and the Spirit is not the Son, but they are both in each other, and they both glorify each other. The Son is God, the Spirit is God, the Father is God. So that's one way, another way we can understand perichoresis. Now, this all sounds contradictory, except when you think about reality. And then you go, oh, wait a minute. This is actually the longing of my heart. This is what all the sciences are after. This is the gold standard. This is the key to the kingdom when it comes to how we are to be. It's like, yep. It's in the Bible. It's true. There it is. So whether you're a Christian or not, you pray today, God, I want perichoresis in all my relationships. There you have it. Now, who are we, though? That's who God is. Verse 6, 20 and 27. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. There we go. That's what I was talking about. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. It is my belief that only Christ can show us the way to peace, because he is peace. You feel tension in your life because you have tension in your relationships. Relationships are the meaning of life. That obligation, that sense of attachment you feel to each other, the stronger that is, the more meaning you feel in your life, the more you will have joy in your life. And so you've got to figure out a way to make that attachment healthy and right and good and life-giving. And you can't do it by your own strength because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Somehow, in your relationships, you need God at the center of it so that you're not looking at each other. You're not gazing at each other. You're not looking to each other for everything, but you're, you're looking outward together at God. And that brings a definition and a proportion to your relationships that nothing else can. The antidote to a troubled heart is, is peace. The antidote to fear is peace. Only the peace of Christ can bring you into that place. It's the teaching of John 14. In a word, if I can summarize perichoresis, or the teaching of this chapter, it would be the word trust. Who are you? What 
version of you shows up when you 100% trust somebody and they 100% trust you and your relationship is defined by trust. And once trust fills the space between you two, you are experiencing, beginning to taste of perichoresis. Here's a couple of diagrams. There's an inversely proportional relationship between trust and fear. So as trust decreases, fear increases. True or false? True. Okay, as trust decreases, law increases. You know this, right? If you're married and there's an erosion of trust in your marriage relationship, you have to substitute that trust with more laws, rules. And then if there's total trust breakdown, what happens? You have to call a lawyer because there's no longer a relationship. There's no trust. There's no perichoresis. There's no peace. There's only fear and therefore law. Now, conversely, as trust increases... Perichoresis increases. The peace, the place, the space between you two starts filling up with good things. And this is the peace that only Christ can give. This place that Christ is talking about, it's a place of inclusion and participation in the divine perichoresis. One resource for you today uh, from an article called Dying of Despair by Aaron in August 2017. Uh, here's a summary of the article. Suicide is up. Depression is up. It is, in fact, the most common medical or mental condition in America. The greatest medical condition in America is depression. And almost every suicide Almost every suicide, there's a link to depression. One out of five, think about this number, 20% of every person you know has been professionally and medically diagnosed with depression. Like, not like I'm depressed, I'm sad, self-diagnosed. No, professionally diagnosed with depression. That's a lot. <clears throat> we don't know. We don't know how to be together, the article says. And really, at the heart, the article goes on to say, at the heart of depression, which leads to suicide, is loneliness. And so they say, the ache that's killing us in America is heartache from loneliness, which leads to depression which contributes to suicide. We are literally dying for a want of perichoresis. We don't know how to be together. We don't know how to recreate this template that comes from above. And when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I believe him. Because we have given it our best shot. We have all the technology. We have relationships at our fingertips, in our pockets we have connection, and yet we are dying for perichoresis. 
Uh, for our closing and application today, I want to invite you to meditate. And uh, so I've been meditating this week. I've, I was able to meditate every day this week. And it's, it's kind of had a profound tone-setting impact on my days. And so I want to invite you to meditate. So I want to ask you to close your eyes. And don't worry about taking any more of these uh, notes down. I have it all for you in the sermon notes you have access to. So close your eyes. Put your hands out on your lap with your palms open in a gesture of openness to God and his spirit. And let your mind just softly focus on the verses that I'm going to read to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Amen.